The Goodman Theater in Chicago right now is doing a production of Enemy of the People, a new adaptation by Robert Falls. And the serious dramatic actor who plays the lead is um, Philip Earl Johnson, who in his other life is also a Ren Fair clown, juggler, and tightrope walker. So I guess my first question to you, Phil, today is, who am I talking to today? Well, you're only ever going to get me. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever it is, wherever you are. Thanks for subscribing, streaming, or downloading and listening to us on your computer or tablet or phone. I'm Austin Titchener, one-third of the Reduced Shakespeare Company, and you're listening to this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast, number 590, Serious Actor Clown. For those of you listening to the podcast in real time, in the week it's actually released, you are not dreaming. This is the second podcast I'm posting this week, which, for those of you keeping score, also means I'm now caught up for those podcast episodes I missed back at the end of 2017. And the reason I'm excited to do a second podcast this week is because I saw the Goodman Theater production of Henrik Ibsen's Enemy of the People, adapted and directed by Goodman Artistic Director Robert Falls, and starring in the title role is an artistic brother from another mother, Philip Earl Johnson, who was both a professional serious, in air quotes, actor, and a professional clown. Enemy of the People is a fantastic production, and it only runs until April 15th, so I hope you're listening right now can get there to see it. And Phil was able to sit down with me on his day off and talk about the process of creating his characters, both in the Goodman production and at Renaissance fairs around the country. Even as Mooney, which is my clown, and or as... In Enemy of the People, it's me. Like I'm, it's I'm going for the truth, and I'm not hiding it. What you see is what you get. Yeah, absolutely. How? So I mean, it's it's very cool that we share this this sort of Renfair vaudevillian old school clowny sensibility in what we might call our day jobs, and yet, um, you know, we play dramatic, and I mean legit, and I'm putting air quotes on all of those words, uh, roles um, in theaters around the country, and you've worked a ton here in Chicago and other places. How? What came first for you, the acting or the clowning, or was it simultaneous? It was always, for me, the first love was acting. I, I Ever since I was seven, I knew I was going to be an actor, but then, you know, I went to college for it, university, couldn't wait to get out, couldn't wait to get out in the world. To do it. To do it. And then realized that I needed to have a living, you know, make a living. And it was either like, you know, waiting tables, but I'd always worked at Renaissance fairs in high school and then through college. And I thought I'd seen guys do shows. So I thought, well, what if I develop a show and then I'll always have that to fall back on in if I'm not getting work as an actor the the only flaw in the plan was it was that the I'm glad there was there was only one <laughs> well, there's always you know <laughs> the, the first flaw was just being me but like <laughs> But the the, the, the the worst flaw of the plan is that I got too good at being a clown, and it's too lucrative to, it pays way better yeah. than being an actor, unless you know, you're a regular on a television show, but but even, it pays better than being a, a guest star, yeah. on, on a weak guest star. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's very, very encouraging to all the uh, to all the clowns and uh, uh, young actors out here, li- out there listening to this. Um, I'm sure. Um, 
where did you did you grow up around here in the Midwest, or uh, uh, where did you where did how did how did you how did you become enamored of the of the Ren Fair sensibility? Well, that's an interesting story because I'd never even heard of it, even though it'd been going on up here, and I was in high school, and a friend of mine said, hey, you want to go on audition for the Renaissance Fair? And I said, uh, yeah, what is that? And he said, well, they've got turkey legs and jousting and wenches. And I'm like, all right, sounds like this. I'm in. Like, let's, let's, go, let's go see. Those are the three biggest selling points. <laughs> yeah, it sounded good. Well, four, depending on the wenches. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> so I... We went and auditioned. We, we got in, and we worked together for about three or four years, he and I. And then... He stopped doing it, and and I kept on it, and he went on to do something else. And that guy is a guy named Tom Morello from Rage Against the Machine and Audio Slave and The Night Watchman. So he got me into the Renaissance Fairs, and he left me there. And you got him into rock and roll? <laughs> not, not quite. <laughs> But we're still great buddies, though. Uh, that's very cool. I love these stories of Ren Fair roots, you know. Um, uh, uh, and then at what point did you start auditioning for um, a more legitimate theater? Oh, right out of college. Or as soon as I was done with college, I was pursuing it. I've always had a career in the theater all along when I was... I did the national tour of Angels in America when I was 30 years old, and that was probably, you know, at that point, certainly the high point of the career. You know, I lived in L.A., did the L.A. thing, and so I've, the, the acting thing never has ever um, gone away. It's always been side to side. Well, and our, it's funny, we share the, the Renfair roots, at least the RSC and you share the, the Renfair roots, but our paths almost almost crossed, but didn't quite, at uh, the Kennedy Center when you were doing um, Angels in America at the same time I think we were doing one of our shows. That's right. Yeah, we played there for, for 10 weeks. With Jonathan Hadery as uh, Hadari, as, as uh, Racon. That's it, Hadari. Is, Hadari. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, boy, what a privilege to be. I mean, that's a whole other, I'm sure that's a whole other story being in Angels in America. Um, uh, what college did you go to? I went to Illinois State University. I went there because at the time, Steppenwolf in Chicago was just starting to emerge as a company of great merit and, and fame. You know, they still, and some, just some of them were just starting to start doing television and film. So they were, ISU became the hot school to go to. Plus, I got a scholarship for $800 and I had to use it for a, a uh, I had to use it for a state school. So that helped too. <laughs> Perfect. What, how, so how did, how did the role of uh, Dr. Stockman in Enemy of the People come your way? Well, uh, just like a lot of great stuff that has come my way. And this is really a great sort of reminder to other young actors and performers out there is just through an audition, you know? I mean, I... I old school, old fashioned. Old fashioned. Yeah. I didn't, I, I, I mean, you know, of course, different cities, different different ways of finding your way into the theater, but you know, the casting director at the Goodman knows me, of course. Like, I've been here for many years, worked at the Goodman before, but I've never worked for Bob, and I'd only auditioned for him one time, and that was a year ago. I've had auditions, but because of Mooney, I have to turn down a lot of yeah. a lot of opportunities so I literally just came in for an audition I originally auditioned for Peter the the brother the mayor and I, he you know, after my audition he said that oh, nice work thank you 
which in actor parlance we know that means he didn't get it. Yeah, he didn't get it. <laughs> <laughs> so then, so but then a week later they asked me to come in and audition for Stockman for the, the for Thomas Stockman, the main character, and I was like, well, okay, I guess I didn't suck. So, so then they called me back in for a callback for both of them after that and so just it just snowballed uh, I have no other than I just gave a great audition that was it and did he give you any direction for uh, Stockman for for the doctor um, he didn't really except in the callback he asked me to he, he told me why he gave me another scene that wasn't in the original audition set because he wanted to make sure that I could play this he, he, I originally, originally auditioned with the big town hall scene where I really give them hell, right? So this one was me um, doing the happy scene in the front, and the party scene. So he wanted to see that I wasn't just pissed off all the time. <laughs> Well, that, but I, th I find that so fascinating because he clearly wanted to see what your instincts would be for the role. You rather before loading you up with, oh, I see, I think it's this way, this way, this way. He wanted to see your instincts first, and your instincts. Your your character is called naive and reckless by one character, and then somebody else saw, said, said I, I seem to recall being you've burnt bridges or you've you've alienated people along the way, and that's not how I saw your character, at least the way you were playing it. You seemed. I wouldn't say naive, but innocent. You, you seemed like an innocent, a sort of an everyman character in your part. Is, was that at all conscious on your part? Well, I, he certainly starts out innocent, and because I think he's, I think that he leads with love. I think he really means well. He has excellent intentions, and he believes the world is a pure place that can be pure, that that good will prevail. But then, when evil and and deception and corruption seem to be more powerful than his belief in the good. Well, he certainly stops being Mr. Innocent and Mr. Naive, because he definitely lets him have it at that point. Right, there's a big journey. He gets quite cynical at the end. Absolutely, and, and, and Catherine says he's spoiling for a fight all the time, and I don't think I'm spoiling for a fight. I just think that I am not ready to back down for, uh, from the beliefs and the convictions that I hold most deep. Yeah, yeah. If if Martin Luther King was right that we that things end uh, arc towards justice, it seems like your character thinks we should all be arcing a lot more quickly, you know, <laughs> a lot more quickly. And are and 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 are are tragically surprised when we don't. Very well. Uh, if you haven't seen the play, it doesn't end well for Stockman uh, or or his his family. But you know, as an as an actor, that's that's the stuff we love. Like you, these uh, Stanislavski which I just learned in this. I didn't really know this play very well until working on it, and, but Stanislavski said that, or it was Stanislavski's favorite role. It is known to be Stanislavski, uh, who's the most famous acting teacher of all time, probably, that it was his favorite role. Hello, folks. This is Mike McShane, and you're listening deeply and completely to the Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast. Yes. 
Where can you RSC the RSC? This week we return to William Shakespeare's long lost first play abridged with performances in Hayes, Kansas, Indianapolis, Indiana, followed by shows next week in La Crosse and Madison, Wisconsin, and then we'll close Pittsburgh Public Theater season performing long lost shakes for four and a half weeks from May 31st to July 1st, 2018. And even when we're not touring, Pop-Up Shakespeare is available on sale worldwide. As always, the very best way to stay up to date about all of our worldwide performance dates is to sign up for the Reduced Reader, our email newsletter. Go to ReducedShakespeare.com and click on the link to subscribe and check out our touring page for a specific box office venue and ticket information. And now back to my conversation with Philip Earl Johnson, also known as Mooney on the Ren Fair circuits, but currently starring as the enemy of the people at the Goodman Theater until April 15th. I want to talk about your character Mooney too, your your Renfair character, um, also. But I'm but I'm sticking with Enemy of the People for just a second here. Was do you think that that Bob cast you as Stockman because of your alt, alter ego, clown persona, and clown physicality? Because there's an everyman quality to your clown, I'm, I'm assuming, as well. And there is something sort of innocent about Stockman, as we talked about. And I wonder, I wonder, did you and Bob ever talk about any of this? He brought up the fact that he knew that I had a show, but he's never seen it. He doesn't know anything about it. It's not, it, it was not part of his decision-making process as far as I'm concerned mm-hmm. or as far as I know he never ever alluded it to alluded to it uh, you know Bob uh, this is my first time working with him but he, he he didn't give me a lot of direction throughout it was basically like yeah further just keep going absolutely yes 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 go 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 he just wanted energized and I'm a highly energized guy and and my stockman's highly energized very physical not even just running on and off stage but also there were some there's some stage combat bits that definitely felt old school clowny like silent movie clowny not in a derogatory way but in just a very specific fun funny but but uh, sort of deadly threatening way Absolutely, and that was a conscious choice on my part. There's a part where, at one point, my br- I put, I, my brother, I surprised my brother. He hides in this print shop that I have surprised them upon, and then I find his coat. I put it on, and then I absolutely did a chaplain turn. Like there is, there is no doubt that I was doing. I mean, it, it wasn't. It wasn't a bit that I saw Chaplin do, but I felt Chaplin in that moment. And so the way that I'm running and and just calling up that moment of just being a child and being petulant and mean at the same time, but also having fun with it, you know. So I I find all of that to be Chaplin. Chaplin's an ultimate, he's the ultimate innocent, but he also is a dick at times too. Well, and I, we, Dee and I both love the production so much and, 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 and everybody's performance. And one of the things I loved a lot was that you and uh, Scott Jake, who played your brother, were so believably brothers. You know, you you went after each other with a passion that was clearly born of deep emotion, love, and 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 its opposite. And um, and I loved the heat you guys brought to your arguments with each other. It was very believable. Like, how, how often do you see believable brothers on stage? And this is on like one one hand I can count. Well, I actually, I love working with Scott. It's my second time working with him, and it just—he's such a natural, 
simple and simple when I, I mean that's the greatest praise I can give to an actor simple honest committed just rooted like he couldn't be dishonest if he tried right and he's also got a tremendous amount of power and presence so and I, I think I do too so um, I ain't backing down and he ain't backing down and so that's kind of what brothers do they're like you can't make me back I would rather I would rather die than back down to you you little prick <laughs> well and he's a basso profundo and you're a, a baritone tenor <laughs> that's you know? true that's um, true um, so there's a there's music in that as well no it's the the the, con, the simple contemporary aspects of your performances matched absolutely Bob's adaptation um, and the designs which felt m period but also m contemporary in a way they will that's I think that's sort of Bob's ethic at this point ethics not the right word his aesthetic yeah. is better his aesthetic these days is tends to be mixing time periods because yes it, the play is set in 1882 in Norway but the, let's not set it only in Norway because it's relevant to today too so how can we do that well we can do that by taking design elements we can do that by adding language elements that are not within the time frame of 1882 so that we extend the time so that it really is in any time any place anywhere because you can't quite pin it down at one time and I think all the designs reflect that as well. So now finally, tell me about Mooney. Tell me how you created your clown character, Mooney, and why it's spelled the way it is. <laughs> um, well, it's spelled capital M, small O, small O, capital N, small I, capital E, and I did that just because it looked better the way I signed it. I have a fair sort of character around that. So that was designed on purpose, and I have a logo, which I came up with very early on. But I, I basically, it came about because I needed to find a way to make a living. And I love the power of being alone on stage in front of five, six hundred people at a time. And I come out and, you know, this is 28 years later. In the beginning, it wasn't like this. But, <laughs> but now I come out on stage and there's a lot of people there waiting. They're, they're used to it. They know what's coming. But I always do it like it's the first time every time. And I think that's the thing that makes my show have the longevity that it is. I've done over, over 8,000 performances of it in, in the last 28 years. And every single time, it's the first time. Every single time. And, and I, I, I had a guy who was an artistic director of a, of, a, of a festival. He said, you should have your own show. I said, I don't have a show. And he said, well, I will, I will pay you this much per day. You go out and you you learn, and I failed. I just I failed a lot. But I had I had gone to a comedy workshop with a uh, a guy named Frank Olivier, like uh, performer, juggler. Dudes will know who that guy is. Um, he um, he told us in this comedy workshop that the first 200 shows you're going to suck so just get past those first 200 shows and you're going to be okay and i thought okay okay and it wasn't like i sucked for the first 200 it's just that it was random when i was great 
people laughed and then the next show I would suck again and no one would laugh and I couldn't figure out why like how come well because comedy is a technique and there's that you have to set it up right and you've got to deliver the punchline you've got to be clear and concise and simple and and play and play with ultimate con conviction right so I didn't always do that so after he was right he's about right it was about 200 200 shows and after that I st it started clicking and but Mooney talks right he's not a completely silent clown no it's silent oh it is silent oh okay I thought I'd see an online video of you but no you're whistling I guess you're yeah I whistle okay. I do whistle and then that's one of that and of all the tricks that I do I walk on a tightrope I juggle do all kinds of ob object manipulation audience participation but the number one question that I get always is how do you whistle like that because it you can hear words and it's sort of like a magic trick it's sort of like sending words into someone's brain because I whistle with the pitch inflection cadence of an actual sentence because there are words that I'm whistling and it's just my mouth there's no like sort of you know I don't put anything in my mouth to whistle it's just my right. lips teeth and tongue right. and and you can hear the words and it's sort of this little extra magic trick which totally was just by random I didn't I never it wasn't like oh, I'm some genius and I figured this out it wasn't like that it's just <laughs> I, it just happened like one time and I was like hey that's neat let's see if I can go further with that and now it's become a trademark while I'm thinking about it, can I ask Mooney to say to the listeners, thank you for listening to the RSE podcast? You could, but we're in an environment where every single person would look because it's extraordinarily loud. There's no way to whisper it, right? Okay. okay. <laughs> it can't be whistled because it's, like it's not like a whistle, like a beautiful whistle. It's the kind like you're whistling for your dog. Right. So you can hear it half a mile away. Well, it's and, really loud. And I, and, 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 and I do remember this from the videos I saw online is that you're, you, you are like, you're whistling for a dog, but you're like a sheepdog because you are wrestling the audience. You're, you're wrangling the audience to get them to do and look and participate in the way you want them to. Absolutely. Don't think of me as, uh, like when I say a silent film, don't think of me as Marcel Marceau. Right. Think of me as a, like a dog fighter, not, not a person who fights dogs, but like a, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a dog right. and I'm, I'm on the street. You're a in, junkyard dog. A junkyard dog on the streets of Paris and there's a crowd of people and I'm making this shit happen, yeah. right? But these people paid a lot of money to come into the festival and they are there to be entertained so I don't have to work that hard so instead of having to spend most of my time making them stay I can take that energy and make them go to places that I want them to go emotionally intellectually and viscerally because I am going in I am going into your head I'm going into your heart and I'm going into your stomach and I'm not asking for permission not everyone likes that some people get irritated and I say no one stapled your ass to the seat you can leave if you want but I'm going in I am definitely going in it's not you can't, you can't even describe Mooney as a nonverbal clown because you are talking you're just not forming words that everybody can understand I think most people can understand it but they're they're not actual words and I swear like I swear like I get I give them the f-bomb like I, I but in English or in whistle in whistle okay yeah. but if anyone says you swore like no that you I said this word I can just it's, it was a whistle you can't you can't pin me down man is, but they know exactly what I said let's go back to the videotape you're right <laughs> yeah they know exactly
That's it for this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast. The Enemy of the People runs at the Goodman Theater in Chicago until April 15th, 2018. Go to goodmantheater.org for more information. Then send us your silent movie and or canine inspirations via email to feedback at reducedshakespeare.com. You can also engage with us and other fans on Facebook or Twitter. You can find easy links to all these social networks on our website, reducedshakespeare.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at Austin Titchener, and the RSC is now on Instagram too, at Reduced Shakespeare Company. Thanks as always to enemy of just about everyone else, Matthew Croak, web services by Ginger Power Limited, music by John Weber and Garage Band. Our random fan shout out this week goes to James Christie. No reason, it's just random. Special thanks to another serious actor clown, Mike McShane. And finally, thanks very much to you for listening. I'm Austin Titchener, 590, 1770ths of the Reduced Shakespeare Company. This has been so phenomenal uh, chatting with you, finally, uh, uh, for, with a microphone going. Um, I, and, and it just occurred to me, too, that, that you're coming and talking to me on your day off. So thank you for that as well. Oh, my pleasure. I, I'm, you know, you're in my hometown, so it's, I was close, and I'm, it's always a pleasure to see you. So, you know, it's cool. This podcast is a production of the Reduce Shakespeare Company. Reducing expectations since 1981. Go to ReduceShakespeare.com for performance dates, actor bios, email newsletters, and so much less. 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 So much less.